welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast on self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm your host, Jem Kennedy. I'm a transformational coach as well as creator of the Queers & Co zine and community. Hi, everyone. The world feels like quite a different place since I started recording the series. Um, and I guess it can feel quite scary at times, but I'm going to carry on releasing an episode every week and hope that the podcast will keep you company in some way, especially if you're already in self-isolation. If you aren't a member of Queers & Co um, Facebook group, then do come and join because I'm going to be holding some group coaching sessions in there over the next few weeks just to help everyone stay connected and feel supported. And my guest today is someone I've been hoping to chat to for quite a while, but we kept missing each other and it feels like the timing is really great. So I'm excited to have them on and also I think listening to them will bring some much needed sunshine and also some radical realness into your day. Um, So my guest is a queer capital D disabled femme who serves up radical body politics, anti-diet talk and non-judgmental compassion. She has a huge Instagram following and if you don't already follow her, you will definitely want to after this, so definitely check out her account. Please get comfortable and enjoy listening to the incredible Imogen Fox. Hi Imogen. Hello my lovely. (laughs) How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. I was just saying to you, wasn't I? I've got really bad tummy ache today, so I'm like in a massive jumper with a big hot water bottle and, and a kitten, actually, just curled oh. up on the sofa, uh, nursing myself. That sounds, I'm sorry that you're not well, but that sounds like a really lovely place to be in to it's recover. Actually, it's like, it's not not wellness. That's sort of the annoying bit about it is that it can be quite a regular occurrence. Is just that my tummy is part of my impairment. So days like this are kind of sort of normal. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just my go-to coping strategy is to especially when it's cold you know just to like huddle up and like nest myself a little bit yeah yeah absolutely well I've known or I think I came across your work maybe a couple of years ago I've definitely been following you for quite a while on Instagram we've been in touch for a while yeah and we met at Bodykind last year yeah yeah so um I'm really excited to get the chance to ask you all my questions (laughs) Um, and I guess what I generally start off with when I'm chatting to people is um, just asking them to introduce like how they identify and and what um, I guess like what different intersections play a role in in them as a person yeah okay so I would say I'm a queer disabled femme I haven't really kind of started using the term non-binary but I don't really identify as being part of a gender binary particularly I still use the pronouns she her although they're not particularly comfortable but then I don't find they them any more comfortable Mm -hmm. so I I tend to use a mixture of both of those things um I I live in Bristol in the UK uh and I have been a kind of disability rights activist for most of my life actually um but I found a kind of online community through Instagram a few years ago and so I've just been kind of writing and yeah sharing stuff there for a while yeah yeah and I'm really interested in how that came about you talk about radical body politics which is really powerful um and obviously has so many different sides to it you know with um I know you you say that you're anti-diet as well yeah and and sort of your relationship with the medical industry and all those kinds of yeah um different aspects so it would be amazing to start I guess where maybe at the beginning, like mm-hmm. you say you've been involved with disability rights um, activism for a really long time. How did that come about? Okay, well, I went to an integrated school. So I went to school with other disabled children. Mm-hmm. And whilst my impairment hadn't been diagnosed, I was already having symptoms. So I had some learning support needs. Um, and I, I guess I was part of, it was like, it was integrated to a point because we still had this designated building where like, I mean, maybe now it might be different. There might be accessible toilets in the toilets, but mm-hmm. back then it was just, you know, we had to go back to the pavilion. It was called in the middle of the like school grounds. There was like bathtubs and physio rooms and there was like a little mini flat where you could learn like cooking skills and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I was, I was part of that little community Um, And so I already had a reasonable experience of difference. 
Um, so when I came out as queer, I was like, this is an absolute nightmare. Could be <laughs> more different if I tried. Um, but back in back then, there was no like tin, Tinder or, or dating stuff. So I, when I finally got the internet in my house, which just to be clear, I was nearly 17. I found like a pen pal website mm-hmm. where you could yeah pen pal with people because that was a thing um and I met this incredible woman who is still one of my absolute best friends today um and she uh was a woman with an impairment she's 10 years older than me and she was working for the disability rights commission they don't even exist anymore mm. um, the DRC uh and we just hit it off straight away there was never anything romantic we were just really good friends and we started spending loads of time together well she was part of the um direct action network mm-hmm. um and so when they were doing demonstrations she'd just be like right we're going so i i just started going to all these demonstrations like we did some in birmingham over social care we did some uh, um in manchester uh, actually we did the um, disability rights commission but she did quit her job before we did that one just to, <laughs> didn't just rock up and be like yeah. i'm not working today <laughs> tying myself to my desk but please still pay me um yeah we did loads of demos and stuff but she like pre-18 so still quite kind of formative forming all my political ideas and identities was like this is what the social mo- model of disability is and i was mm. like yes completely indoctrinated from the minute I heard it I I totally got it so many of your listeners may well already be aware of what that means but in society we live in the medical model of disability which implies that our bodies are to blame for the situations that we find ourselves in Mm. however the social model of disability flips that completely and says that society is to blame for the situations that we find ourselves in so for example the fact that we don't have physical access to things isn't our fault because we can't physically access them it's that it's society's problem because they don't make it accessible to us and obviously yeah. that stretches way beyond physical access but also financial access and uh, attitudinal access even all the all the ways in which disabled people are pressed and, and are marginalized by society um it is essentially society's fault yeah and it's just a completely different way of looking at things isn't it I mean I've been lucky enough to work with um one in particular disability rights activist who um takes legal cases and starting to work with her was just and you know it shows my privilege I I didn't realize that that is what people experienced and um yeah it was really eye-opening yeah I think um when you live as a disabled person you don't realize either like (laughs) I guess in some ways we're so genuinely caught up in the belief that we're to blame that we just have a problem that is our fault that we are too big and ask for too much and have too many needs you you don't realize that you're worthy Mm. of better than that and and to be clear like I really lost my way in the middle so during my 20s despite the fact that my impairment was probably the I was probably the most obviously physically impaired I'd ever been in my life um I started dieting and that it's funny enough how it's how I started my um Instagram account um uh because I mean I, I was just doing like little posts but it very quickly turned into this is what I've eaten and you know all that kind of bullshit um and I I really didn't realize until I clicked with anti-diet that the social model of disability stretches way 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 beyond um disabled people in the way that we might kind of assume disability to mean but Mm. actually encompasses all queerness of bodies in general like it's a it's about um a general societal attitude towards others Mm. that is that is the problem um and when i when i finally realized that by thinning myself and dieting and restricting I was actually suddenly part of the society that that were so harmful. It all kind of clicked back into place and it really reignited my politics. And and that's when my Instagram really took off because I was angry again and Mm. mad about 
being sucked into something that I was so anti, but you don't realize how desperate you feel to assimilate when you are already asking so much of the world around you. So I had 24 hour care needs. I mean, I had a a host of um, medical things that needed doing absolutely every day. And I also wore a dress size 28. I was a full-time power chair user. And I, I guess a massive part of me just felt like if I could just look different, mm. if I could just be more socially acceptable in my wheelchair with my 24-hour carer and everything else that comes with me, maybe that would make it more bearable. Maybe society would make more room for me. Maybe I could take a little bit more of what I need. And actually, in reality, that is so never the case. It's never what happens. You just end up killing yourself for no good fucking reason and yeah those being miserable in the process yeah yeah absolutely and Mm. the bastards will never ever ever change how they feel because as soon as you tick one box they're like yeah but babes here are all the other boxes you don't tick Mm. i'm still gonna fuck you over like yeah so knocked that on the head pretty quickly well not quickly enough to not have (laughs) quite a raging eating disorder in the process but quickly enough that I didn't you know do any horrific long-term damage hopefully yeah and what was your experience of um of sort of being around diet culture as a young person so you were you were on the one hand when you were 17 and 18 like really active Mm. and um you know all about making these changes with these different Mm. organizations and different actions and was diet culture something that was there in the background at the time or was it not part of your life then obviously I know it's like in a way part of all of our lives yeah and we obviously just don't realize where it is yeah um I think probably primarily I'd I'd been brought up with a a very kind of average um baby boomer so my mum was born just after the second world war Mm -hmm. um they were very, very working class and had lived without food. But as a baby boomer, she'd kind of, she'd just hit, hit the right times. And my parents were eventually middle class. Um, and there was a lot of pressure on, or she felt a lot of pressure, and certainly amongst that kind of white middle class, little villagey. Like we lived, we lived just outside of Cambridge. So it was mm-hmm. incredibly white. Yeah, well spoken. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, mm. um, so yeah, she. I think she felt a lot of pressure to to look different. Um, and despite the fact that she, from memory, dieted almost constantly, um, never really looked any different. Mm. Um, so I guess it wasn't um, overtly conversational. Like, I don't remember her saying things to me. Uh, very you know specifically but I remember eating rivetas for lunch and thinking nobody enjoys a rivita what the fuck is this do you know what I mean (laughs) but I mean maybe you might if you enjoy a rivita you crack on babes but I know for a fact my (laughs) mum doesn't love a rivita do you know what I mean or maybe like if it was smothered you know the the sweet ones with the like um raisins in if you cover those with jam and peanut butter maybe Mm -hmm. I could get on board with that but the other ones it's a no from me thanks yeah, same here. I think it's the idea of having to, like being forced to, not, I'm not saying your mum forced you, but like with diet culture, expecting yeah. you to eat something, it just takes away all its enjoyment. Like it's something yeah, you absolutely. have to eat. Yeah, like actually my nieces and nephews, they go through rice crackers, they smash rice crackers. Mm. Give them, oh my God, they fucking love a rice cracker. I'm like, <laughs> I'm so traumatized from eating rice crackers with cottage cheese on oh my god you know what I mean like I literally I'm like oh god get that rice cracker away from me literally karate chopping a four-year-old get it out of my face I want a fucking rice cracker dude yeah no ugh, no thank you but yes I can I remember the first time my mum said the word calories to me Mm. um we'd bought some pick and mix and we I think my grandma was probably down and she was like a notorious kind of Northern grandma. You know, we were allowed, she bought us lots of sweets and we, we, she took us to the bakery every day and we were allowed to like pick a donut. And she always bought these amazing rolls from Marks and Spencer's. Oh my God, they were so good. Like, <laughs> I don't know whether those rolls still exist, but if they do, I'm, I might actually walk there later. Like those <laughs> Just rolls. To see. Were, yeah. Those rolls were so good. Um, 
And I remember she'd bought us a big bag of pick and mix each when Woolworth still existed. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Um, and I remember my mum saying, no, you shouldn't eat all of them now. Maybe you can have some more later. Mm-hmm. Um, and her saying, "They've, you know, sweeties have got a lot of calories in. And me just being like, well, I mean, A, what is that? I just, I didn't really understand it as a thing. Um, and B, I remember thinking... Well, if I'm going to eat them later, the calories are still the same. <laughs> so what, what difference does later make in terms of calories? Like, it just it didn't make any sense to me at yeah. all. Um, but I guess she was, she was probably trying to educate me in a, in a world that she was indoctrinated in because I was already... I, like, I look back now, I probably... I would say I was a chubby um, kid and that I was definitely a fat teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my two much, much thinner, much more naturally sporty and active sisters. Um, I think my mum probably felt like she owed me an education in order to prevent me from probably being her. Do you know what I mean? A little bit like she Mm. didn't want me to have to experience what she did. Um, But in reality, we share a body type. So (laughs) I'm going to have those experiences. What would have been better would have been maybe a fuck the patriarchy. Oh, yeah, mind. that's always better yeah. than pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really common, though. Like, that's certainly my experience that, mm. um, yeah, that the reason a lot of people end up, um, you know, with issues around food or with yeah. being very indoctrinated into diet culture is that they've kind of had someone be like, hello, welcome. Yeah, <laughs> In order to keep you safe, yeah. this is what we need to do. Yeah. And it's not from a place of, um, yeah, as you say, it's not from a place of like unkindness or anything. It's no. just simply like, I want you to be able to survive as best you can yes. in the world. And this is what you need to do to assimilate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's mm. really frightening, isn't it? That those come from the closest and uh, and the people that we ought to be the safest with. And yeah. yeah the most dangerous message I think I've ever received in my life. I, ca- I can't think of a, probably the only other message of, has come from medics mm-hmm. um, that I'm not worthy of... Um, treatment of life of medicines of of all the things that they provide um but actually to some extent their messages make a lot more sense than the diet culture ones do mm. um but yeah interestingly when i started um hanging around with lots more disabled people from the direct action network um diet culture took on a really different kind of twist Mm. so they as a community are are probably quite anti-diet really because they're quite fuck you certainly Mm -hmm. the the radical crips definitely um but kind of quickly as my impairment progressed and changed i moved into a much more chronic health rather than a um, capital d disabled people mm-hmm. movement and I found I find that I still actually I've never written about this so I'm going to be tr- quite careful how I talk about it because I I don't want anybody to feel like I'm personally attacking or um offending sure but the chronic health community actually have a really different approach to the world than the kind of capital D disabled community. Mm. And I think that's because they're very indoctrinated into the medical model, into medicine, but also incredibly invested in health mm-hmm. and actually disabled people. And I'm using the word capital D and saying that specifically because lots and lots and lots of people would say that they are disabled, but they wouldn't share the kind of radical politics that I do. Yeah. I am a capital D disabled person because I am invested very specifically in a certain type of radical politics. And I, those two things kind of have to be separated out because I don't want to lump in a load of disabled people who are like, well, I don't feel like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very, uh, the, yeah, the, the, the kind of more radical progressive group of disabled people aren't particularly invested in health because they're like, well, lol. Yeah. That's <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not really attainable. We've known from the beginning that that wasn't ever a thing that was going to be a a privilege that we experienced, that, you know, we don't go out of our way to make life any worse for ourselves. But we also don't go around trying to kill ourselves in order to be hashtag fitspo. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Whereas the chronic health community are very different. They have often experienced health privilege for big chunks of their lives and then all of a sudden are experiencing quite a sudden spin of like deprivation on that front and and want to get back to healthy so they do all these 
I don't want to say ridiculous diets, but also a little bit ridiculous mm-hmm. diets to like regain health. And like, it's so hard though, isn't it? Because if you've got, if you're properly lactose intolerant, if you've got celiac disease, what are you meant to do? Uh-huh. It's such a minefield. Like, I just have no idea how you're meant to have those conversations. But I found the chronic health community really difficult to be part of. And it definitely fueled my orthorexia. Um, mm. and restrictive eating patterns because I was so desperate to eat myself well like food was some kind of medicine that I had been uh, and, and equally that food had been some kind of poison for, mm-hmm. for the, the previous couple of decades um, obviously I don't really subscribe to those feelings now I think that bodies react differently to food based on your body rather than the food itself mm-hmm. and that it's much more about working with your body to make food manageable rather than demonizing certain food groups and being super restrictive and on diets and stuff but yeah I found that was really challenging um, and I've definitely kind of moved away more you know back into that kind of radical disability politics rather than being kind of part of that chronic health community yeah and when you mentioned that sort of during your 20s you kind of lost your way a bit with being involved with that more radical body politics yeah what what kind of um kick-started or facilitated you moving back into it do you think um it was definitely discovering anti-diet because I was like oh yeah fatness is a fucking access issue Mm. you know what I mean all of a sudden it kind of clicked in it's about being socially acceptable and all those years I've been really caught up with it being about being impaired very specifically Mm -hmm. and actually now I realize that it encompasses queerness in the broadest sense of its in the broadest sense of the term so it encompasses fatness and ugliness and otherness in general but uh, and queerness as in like actually being lgbtqiaa plus like Mm -hmm. um all of those people benefit from investing in the social model of disability uh, in a way that is probably not really yet understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're getting there. I think there's a lot of um, radical fat politics um, that really um, intertwine with disability politics. And I, I think that's definitely moving to the forefront now. But of course, at the same time, lots of really, really not fat middle-class white people have co-opted that space so it's really hard to keep those conversations going because those really marginalized voices are always pushed to the outskirts the minute anybody kind of picks up on something and it's like oh yeah that's a really good idea I'm going to be part of that and you're like it's a no from me Karen thanks <laughs> yeah. move aside it's my yeah. T- my turn yeah, literally <laughs> out the fucking way <laughs> yeah oh my god yeah I totally hear you and I guess um it's interesting thinking about your Instagram account that you started it out um, not necessarily intentionally but like you ended up kind of posting what you were eating on there yeah and now you're I think at when I looked 55,000 followers and you're you know completely well every time I post it drops by at least 200 so yeah yeah yeah. I lose I lose more followers than I gain almost always unless I get shouted out by somebody really enormous I'm always losing yeah 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 I mean it's totally fine don't care but um yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's that people don't um, appreciate what I'm talking about. or I mean, obviously, lots of people are still there and I have an incredible community. Um, yeah, I, d- I think um, lots of people really resonate with the feeling of being othered in society. Mm. So I, I hope that I offer some kind of um, solidarity and alliance and yeah, allyship to that kind of group of people who have always just been on the outside being like I just don't get it I don't like how am I going to do this I just I can't I don't know how to and I'm like yeah well me too (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I have two questions I guess my first my first thing is like why the hell are people following you like what do they think they're going to get when they see your post and think oh yeah she looks good I'm going to follow her and then you post something and they leave I don't understand (laughs) yeah I think sometimes if you like if stuff gets shared and it's really like makeup heavy fashion heavy the Um, angels picture that I did mm -hmm. you get like these kind of influxes of people and then when they actually see what your work is about they're like babes that's not for me (laughs) 
Do you know what I mean? So I think it's, yeah. it's probably slightly just a misunderstanding that they thought that I was, you know, a thin white person posting about River Island trousers. Mm. Actually, I was writing about being oppressed by society. Yeah. A quick exit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, move along, babe. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, But exactly. you're the problem. The people yeah. today, are, I'm preaching to the choir. They mm-hmm. appreciate it when I say something and they're like oh god yeah me too but actually all the people who move on um are the people who really probably need to see it more than anybody else absolutely and that's the frustrating thing isn't it like how do you get that message to those people because they need it the most yeah yeah i think it's a big issue within the community actually because i think a lot of the bigger accounts like if you look at the top and i you know i'm using the term loosely hashtag bopo Mm -hmm. accounts like they are palatable they're socially acceptable they're black but they're not dark they're fat but they're not properly fat like mm. they're they're impaired but they look like me do you know what I mean like I'm so part of that um and it's in it's it's still it irks me and it irks a lot of us it's a conversation that we have really regularly should we be taking up space in this community should we be getting a message out there is it reasonable to say that we're putting our foot in a doorway that makes it potentially possible that other people who would never hear this message might hear it or should it should it just absolutely be black femmes to the front like should should this all end I just yeah Hmm. so I wrestle with that really regularly yeah it's a really tricky um dilemma I guess one thing that I have noticed in because I very much um I guess yeah my entry point for body stuff was yeah. um body positivity yeah. but then I think very quickly I realized that that wasn't enough like it needed to be much wider yeah. than that and it was you know about so much more um about fat people and about you know all kinds of different marginalized communities yeah. um and so I think in a way it's a great entry point for people but the issue is is when people just stop there like yeah. they think, oh yes, that's fine. I've worked it out for myself now. Yeah. Dieting is not important or not necessary. Done. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. they're not thinking further than that. You know, yeah. well, okay, who else does this affect? Or, yeah. um, yeah, there's so much more to it. Did you come to the Anti Diet Riot Club? Yes. Um, yeah. What the in January? Yeah. Yeah, I did two workshops there. Oh, did you? Yeah. Amazing. Did you see me speak? Because we literally no. spoke about that. Oh, no. Um, I think you were scheduled at the same time as oh, one of my typical. workshops, so I didn't get to see it. But yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had exactly the same conversation. I, I, I just, I felt awful saying it. it. sounds dreadful. And let me finish my sentence before you judge me. <laughs> I, was, I hate coming to events like this because uh-huh. I said the same thing over and over and over. And you know, Lucy goes home and gets McDonald's on the way home and feels fine about it. And she learns to love her size 12 to 14 body and a little poochy belly. Mm. But then she does nothing else. Yeah. And like, we're all still desperately trying to educate. It, it's so much bigger than you, babe. Like, so much bigger than you. And it's mm. like, I totally want you to feel comfortable in your body. And I want you to be able to eat what you want and not give a fuck about it. And I want you to be able to have conversations with people about how you're feeling about living in your body. And that's totally chill. But what, where's the next conversation? Like when your racist auntie says something, are, are you making a comment or are you just pleased that you were eating Christmas dinner? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. Really and I guess that's where intersectionality comes in. And a lot of people haven't even, you know, aren't even aware of that concept of, mm. you know, different people's identities intersecting in a different way. Mm. That means they're oppressed in different ways by society. Yeah. And um, yeah, if you're just thinking like, oh, my life has been so tough because I've been bullied for being fat, for example. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely shit. But if, if you don't then use that experience and um, lift up other people then yeah, what's it for political awareness <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely and actually in reality we've even whitewashed the term intersectionality because mm. originally it was designed to to be a discussion of blackness and intersectionality like it the whole point was how blackness intersected with other issues other societal others and we've we've even kind of that's become a bit of a token now like what does intersectionality mean anymore it kind of just means one of everybody it means box ticking Mm -hmm. it's become like an exercise in making sure there's a different range of faces on the panel and in some ways 
brilliant. But in other ways, oh my God, guys, we've got to stop stealing shit from black people and like just making it white palatable. Like, it's yeah. just not, do you know what I mean? Just, oh. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I feel like, no, no, don't there. apologize. No, it's absolutely true. It's important. It needs to be said. Um, yeah, I, I guess my, I'm just wondering like what, one one of the things that or the reason I think or one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast is that um I'm involved with different communities who are marginalized in some way and I also recognize that I have a lot of privilege as a white middle class person yeah um but one of the issues that I found is that there will be people doing activism in one particular sphere and it's amazing that people are you know really focused and like pushing that particular issue mm. but they also have a lot of blind spots as everyone does but they have blind spots around lots of other areas of activism um and so the idea of this was to get people from different um different areas onto the podcast to talk about what it is that they're working on yeah. in order to make other people aware so for example um fat activism or queer activism but queer people may not be aware of children's rights so bringing in children's rights and bringing you know bringing in all yeah. these different um aspects yeah. and yeah I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say I guess it's just it feels important to be aware that even though we are an activated person in some way we still have blind spots and there are still things that we mm. are not aware of or yeah. um, need to work on and there yeah. always will be yeah well um I, I've spoken to Becky about this already, but when I got to um, the Anti-Diet Writer Club, she'd told me beforehand that the venue was going to be fully accessible. It kind of wasn't. And then when I went on stage, I realised I had to get up a load of steps. Mm. And I would never normally attend an event where I have to take steps to get on a stage because I, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I'd been a wheelchair user. And mm -hmm. a large number of my following wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, I think it's it's really important to look at who's in the room with you, mm -hmm. but more importantly, who isn't in the room with you and why is it that you're in the room over somebody else? Yeah. And should you be saying no in order to make sure that there is space for somebody else to be in the room? I think um, there's a lot of people now like in, within the anti-diet community kind of going into schools and talking to children, et cetera, et cetera, which is just incredible. And I'm so excited that that's happening, but why is it that white middle-class people are able to do that and yet black women wouldn't? Mm. And like, there's so many conversations there to be had around access, financial access. It's because we're able to work different hours and potentially other people are doing shift work. Like there's, there's so much, it's so much bigger. And I, I guess to some extent, I do feel like there is, it's impossible to use your privilege for good. Um, and I, yeah, I, st I haven't really, I haven't finalised those thoughts for myself. So I'm, I guess this is an open-ended conversation, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, and it's really important to have those conversations with other white people and not other marginalised people. Yeah. Uh, because it's for us to work out and not them. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's, it's a really big ongoing conversation and it should be a conversation that we're having really, really constantly to make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable as yeah regularly yeah yeah and what you say about um events needing to be accessible and thinking about who isn't in the room and who is yeah it's so it's so important or integral to um if you have like a movement for example people who are anti-diet yeah. um if those people are only having conversations in a room or at an event with people like them yeah then what changes it's just yeah, exactly. you know like you know oh yes I hear you that's your issue but yeah okay then bye yeah. <laughs> nothing's really changed or no yeah it's, it's how do you have those conversations and the internet is obviously great for that um for accessing more people different identities but it's also you know it doesn't it doesn't come without its problems yeah well and is it great like mm. my best friend is a black disabled lesbian she's a wheelchair user she's more mask presenting she's got two adopted kids like she's approaching middle age aren't we all like if she if she honestly i swear to god if she went on instagram she would just roll her fucking eyes like hey, no this is absolutely not for me i do not belong here yeah and my wife similarly um she's um a disabled person and um quite like looks quite different to mm -hmm. other people and there's absolutely no way she would ever ever 
join the kind of body acceptance, body liberation movement because she'd just be like, well, there's no space for me here. Like this, this it's not it's not accessible before you've even started. And it, we're not even attending an event yet, you know? Yeah, and I think I'm thinking more of like, other groups where people can gather so for example if if people are on facebook like i don't know if you're part of london by pandas for example that's a really great group oh, that cool, no. yeah it's brilliant um and the idea behind that is it's you know it's it started out trying to get a float ready for pride that represented the bi community oh, wow. um, and it's expanded into so much more and it's a really active group and i think they do a lot of questioning around you know who is in the group why are they here how can we yeah, okay. um have different conversations um yeah, yeah and I, I think there's definitely a difference between where you find where you find those communities because i think you're right instagram is not the place for those yeah. kind of big discussions and yeah. I guess just the nature of how it's set up it's literally like snapshots of people's lives isn't it rather yeah. than ongoing conversations yeah I met somebody the other day who'd been following me for a little while and she was like oh my god your life like it looks so interesting you're always going out to places and I was like I've I've started posting more toilet selfies as a because <laughs> I'm just like yeah just because I drink a cocktail once a week does not mean that I don't spend like four days a week locked in my own bathroom sobbing into my own armpits do you know what I mean like yeah I just I feel like even my life on Instagram is curated to some extent it kind mm -hmm. of can't not be unless I was literally filming my own fucking documentary there's absolutely no way that you'd see every facet of my life and I try to be as open and honest as possible about um what the realities are but it would just you know it would, it'd be really inconvenient for a start every time I had an argument with my missus being like <laughs> can we just stop and pose for an angry picture please I just need to put Instagram live yeah literally yeah can we do some questions who's right like Imogen or Lottie? Who wins? <laughs> yeah, it's that would me, be quite problematic. <laughs> you could just vote for me. That'd be great. Thanks so much. <laughs> and I guess that feeds into like, um, I, I like to talk to people about how they navigate, especially when they're activated in some way, how they navigate burnout. And mm. it's a very real thing for people who are exposed to like relentless shitness, right? Of mm. like, fighting for your own rights also being aware of everything that's going on in the world and what what you're trying to do I guess to further yeah. particular movements how do you actually look after yourself and I don't mean in a bath bomb kind of way yeah um <laughs> so no. yeah like how how does that work for you is it something that you've um become really proficient at or is it something you're working towards no I'm terrible like I'm so bad at it I it's all like I almost don't know how to answer your question mm. because I just I just don't I don't know how to do that that's still not accessible to me like I'm so I don't want to say profoundly damaged and traumatized but also I am so profoundly damaged and traumatized by my experiences within the medical community mm. um taking care of myself is the hardest task I like ever I'd mm. literally rather do a tax return every day oh wow yeah it's only top of my mind because I literally just had to do a tax return and then I did it wrong so I'd do it again oh, no. so I did have to do a tax return two days in a row and I was just thinking is that better or worse mm. better <laughs> definitely better yeah no I hate it I just I don't know I don't know like I don't know what to do for the best um I don't know when to cancel things I don't know mm -hmm. when to go to things. I don't know how to ask for enough money. Like I often go to events, but for access issues, I end up having to stay overnight and therefore the hotel costs me 200 pounds and the travels cost me however much. And I've had to take a PA with me mm. and I've had to take a shit ton of medical equipment. And therefore the 50 pounds that they're paying me, it that hasn't like it's cost me an extra 200 pounds over and above and I've had to pay somebody's wages to be there to support me. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how to do any of that still. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I equally feel kind of jealous and sad and lacking. And like, I'm missing out on all the things that the more privileged people just get to be part of without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I see people on Instagram going out and doing stuff together and being like, well, obviously next time 
somebody thinks to invite me I'll go because Mm -hmm. I want to be part of that it's not fair that I can't be part of that but yeah I don't I just I don't really know how to manage those situations at all things like today are still really difficult like still feel really confused about whether it's okay not to do my stretches or whether that should be a priority this afternoon will that make me feel better or worse I just yeah it's so it's just so complex I have no Mm. idea and is there a time in your life where you felt like you have had it kind of um, down no. for want of a better? No, no, absolutely not. So you mentioned briefly this, um, the community that you've built up on Instagram yeah. and obviously this community that you had when you were younger and you were um, doing direct action um, work as well. I just yeah. wondered what community has meant for you in your journey? I'm sorry, I hate the word, but like what, yeah. what has community or what role has community played in, in your life? Um, I think it's probably been one of the most grounding and rewarding things that I've ever found. Like my um, family didn't always feel like the safest place when I was a kid. School never felt safe. Um, I lived in a homeless hostel for a little while when I was young and I have felt unimaginably lonely um, for long periods of my life and so finding a community that just kind of saw all my ugly and all the things that I felt were obscene and not okay and then to just be like yeah okay whatever. like I think that's why I'm so radically part of the capital D disabled community because I just have never found space for myself um in a way that was genuinely rooted in kindness and Mm. compassion um and and non-judgmental compassion more specifically Mm -hmm. um so and i i hope that that's what is bred amongst my facebook community is just that there is space for people to bring their ugliest of anxieties and know that there's space for them without judgment um yeah just to feel connected and part of something that is bigger than them that's important but that allows them to kind of take a deep breath and be genuinely who they are Mm. yeah yeah that's such a an amazing thing to be able to offer people well and to be part of mm, yeah of course like I mean they make the same space for me as I make for them that's sort of the deal isn't it <laughs> it's kind of I think um when I when I kind of got into my late 20s I think I realized that the word family comes from the word familiar mm. and, the, and, and the really kind of genuine sense of the word family isn't to do with biology or blood and by this point I already had a foster son um so I'd I'd learn that family wasn't about who I was biologically related to because he was my son mm-hmm. um, and I hadn't given birth to him. Um, so I think that really kind of transformed my view of what is family and, and in turn what, what was community and connection and what were they, how were they important to me and what was it that I wanted to elicit from them and within them. And so I really worked on um, who I had around me mm-hmm. um, and how I interacted with them how I made space for them and how I asked for them to make space for me and that's like that's still an ongoing journey for me because in the same way that I'm not great at self-care um I'm not brilliant at boundaries um and I have designated the year 2020 the year of boundaries um just in a really kind of gentle inquisitive exploration like Mm. what are boundaries what do they mean to me how are they important how are they a tool in self-care um how could I use them how are they abused um yeah I just I need to do definitely a lot more work around that but I think being part of um, a really compassionate community is a really important start because I know I've got a core group of people 
who I who I could tell my boundaries to once mm-hmm. I've got them and that they would be respectful of them or like most of them I mean obviously not my mum <laughs> <laughs> and it's so interesting to me because um I made some notes before we talked today and one of my things I can read out to you was you talk a lot about boundaries what has your own experience been with developing boundaries oh, so, so funny. you come across to me as a person who really not necessarily like I'm not saying you claim to have it sorted or you're yeah. kind of you know putting out there that you know it all or anything but just you seem to be a really boundaried person yeah. in such a healthy way and it's so interesting hearing you say that that's something you're working on and yeah um yeah I think it's really difficult because I think so I imagine so I okay so for example I get lots of questions on Instagram about what's wrong with me or what my diagnosis is mm. and um all that kind of stuff and I am quite overtly like fuck the fuck off yeah uh, and I will I've got a highlight saved on my profile which is just called tubes um, and it is essentially just a rant of me shouting at people because I had so many questions about um, the tubes that I've got uh, on my body on my abdomen um, but when you're in a doctor's office by yourself and you're asking, they're asking to weigh you because they're trying to work out how much anesthetic you need. Or do you know what I mean? Like at what point is his question reasonable? And mm. at what point is my boundary of, I don't know how much I weigh reasonable? Like who wins there? Cause I, I feel like neither of us particularly. And I, I don't really, in those moments, it's just me. It isn't a whole community of people and my mates giving it fuck of imagine do you know what I mean like (laughs) it's really hard sometimes the nuance the balance the kind of the way that we have to fold and be malleable in some situations Mm -hmm. like we we can't just be rigid all of the time it would be unreasonable for me to say no this is an absolute hundred percent you can never do that to me boundary because what if my safety is then at risk like it's it's just it's such a nuanced conversation and in yeah in some ways I probably do look like I have boundaries down but behind closed doors when I'm on my own and not stood in the rage of my fellow siblings amongst my community I'm I'm just stood as a really scared isolated person in an office with probably a powerful white man who could essentially do and say whatever he wanted Mm. and I'm I'm just as frightened and unsure as everybody else who's sat in that office before me and and will sit in that office after me yeah that's the reality isn't it like that's what marginalized bodies generally kind of have to live with to some extent and Mm. it would be nice to say no I opt out of diet culture fully but actually if you go to work in an office every day you probably haven't got much of a choice and I have to go to the doctors twice a week so (laughs) you know yeah Yeah, it's understanding where um yeah just that you can't ever have complete control over what can and can't come into your life right yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and like the boundaries within that obviously are really important and the self-care within that obviously again really important having a community of people around me obviously really important but I guess that's why we do what we're doing now isn't it because I don't want people to feel alone in a doctor's office I don't want them to be frightened and and unsure. I don't want them to question their politics because some white man is telling them that they're not worthy of an expensive treatment. I I want the whole world to feel differently about my body, but also all the other bodies out there. Yeah. That's that's why I'm here and that we do this. Like I don't, I don't want anyone to feel like I felt. Yeah, that's so powerful. Mm. (laughs) And so with that in mind, what's next for you? Do you know what? Probably some rest. Lovely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really bad. Like, I just, yeah. It's Valentine's Day today. Obviously, it won't be Valentine's Day when this goes out. But um, 
I've just put a bottle of Prosecco in the fridge. Oh, lovely. And I, um, I, don't, I try not to do long-term thinking because my body doesn't really allow for that. That's not mm-hmm. a privilege that I get, really. Like, I can, you know, little bits and pieces, I'll book in things. But, yeah, I, I have to get used to the idea that life's kind of smaller than what am I doing next week or next month. Mm-hmm. I'm going on holiday in March. There we go. That Lovely. I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. Where are you yeah. going? We're going to go to Florida. I was oh, just wow. about to say, don't tell anybody. And then okay. <laughs> I can edit I, it out. It's okay. <laughs> I let my partner went to Florida every year for quite a long time because as a wheelchair user and as a family who had kind of the means to do so, it was just the easiest place to go. Mm. Bungalows are kind of level access. Her dad could kind of help her move around and they went to Disney because it's in Florida. So they got a hot holiday that was wheelchair accessible and they went to Disney. I am not invested in Disney at all. (laughs) I am not particularly invested in Florida, really. Um, But I am invested in not being in the UK in March. So Florida it is. Woo! And Amazing. I'm going to Disney for the first time. Oh, so. have a great time. Thank you. <laughs> um, and one thing that I mentioned to you before is every time someone comes on the podcast, I um, ask them if they're happy to share something that they're really enjoying. And I know that you've got something. Yeah. So I was just saying, I, like, I think it might just be me, but I don't like Netflix. Like <laughs> literally everything I watch, I'm like, meh. I mean, it's all right, but as long as I'm doing something else at the same time, like strenuous knitting or like, (laughs) you know, really vigorous scrolling on Instagram. Yeah, I just, but I finally, I started watching You. Okay. It's about like this kind of psychopath guy (laughs) who I actually really like. Um, (laughs) And it just, it properly captivated me. So yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying that. I think Netflix has been wanting me to watch it. You know where it puts, it puts oh, things. Like, like 90% or whatever. Yeah, and I've just been ignoring it. So maybe I'll give it a go. Well, I mean, if you hate it, don't tell me. Okay, I won't. <laughs> or do, maybe just do, just tell me. Everyone like <laughs> sends all these recommendations. Somebody said I've got to watch, is it Wit- Watcher, Witcher or something? Oh, okay, next? yeah, The Witcher, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So but that's next on the list. But Yeah, I, I struggle with creepy things. I watched mm. um, The Stranger in the house on my own last night and I was oh, terrified. Okay. So, yeah, not the that's best not idea. The one. Put no. bridesmaids on, babe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Go-to. Quite Valentine's Day. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Literally, the second there's nobody in the house, I'm like, hmm, what should I do now? I'm going to put bridesmaids on. <laughs> I might just take you up on that oh, idea. Brilliant. <laughs> well, next time, let's watch Bridesmaids together and drink Prosecco and record for a podcast. All that would be so time. fun. Yes, how, much, how cool would that be? That would yeah. be great. Next Valentine's yeah. Day. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I'll probably be divorced by then. So I'll have a bit more space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, it's, it's been, been so really fun good chatting fun. to you. Thanks for having me, Jen. Not at all. Lovely. I told you Imogen was amazing, didn't I? I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'm going to keep it really short and sweet today. Um, I'm not really feeling very talky, but if you want to have a chat and talk about anything else, then head over to the Facebook group Quiz & Co and catch me in there. Bye!